0: This is the Mediocre Men Podcast. Mediocre Men, Great Big God. But at that point, I realized that
1: Christianity is true and Christ was real and he lived and died and rose. And I became a Christian.
0: And to satisfy the demands of God's law that stood against me, and he took it for me and the work was done and all my religious works were like filthy rags to God because I was not accepting Jesus Christ alone by faith. And so I got to the point with only three weeks left of my two-year mission trip for the Mormon Church and I actually became a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ.
1: Science is not anti-Christian. Science is not atheistic. Christianity, uh, was instrumental in the foundation of science, in the beginning of science. All the original scientists were were, uh, Christians, and that remains. There's still many, many scientists who are Christians despite the current atmosphere.
0: Well, David, here we are. It's week two of the apologetics topic, and this week we're doing the reliability of the Bible. Can we trust the Bible, David?
1: Well, Glenn, yes, we can. Um, in, prepar- <laughs> in preparation of uh, uh, today's episode, I was listening to a, uh, a teaching, I think originally it was a sermon, and he, in, in this setting, he was actually, I believe, at a Christian academy, and you can look it up on, on YouTube, it's called uh, Why You Can Believe the Bible, and he's making a case for the reliability of the Bible, and interesting enough, what he begins by is bad responses and i think we've heard these we've used them um and there's probably other ones that we could add to it but uh, one of them that he says is a bad answer is i believe the bible because that's the way i was raised now we might be thinking well that's probably a pretty decent answer but the issue with that is it's not because you know your parents could be wrong
0: yeah And, and i grew up whenever this was asked as a child the answer I was always given and I always heard was well because God says it's real it's because the Bible says it's true right um, which kind of follows the same thought of what you just said
1: yeah I mean the one that you mentioned it seems to be circular reasoning yeah. right um, and then yeah and, and this one and this one it, it all depends on who your parents are right I mean your parents could be Muslim and they could have been teaching you the Quran so if you use I believe the Bible because it's the way I was raised well you're raised Muslim, they'd be using the Quran. So does that mean that's that's a book that's reliable?
0: Yeah, right. It could it could be anything. It could be Mormon, Jehovah's Witness.
1: Right. right. And, and talking about Mormons, uh, another ba- uh, bad answer is one based on experience. I tried it and it changed my life. And uh, I know you chatted with Mormons far more than I have. I've, I've just really seen YouTube videos on like Jeff Durbin talking with Mormons and. But I've seen that there seems to be uh, this, this thought, Mormonism, of like an awakening feeling to confirm the reliability of their faith or of, the, of their sacred
0: text. Right, and they, they really like to lean on to the 1st and James of praying for wisdom. That is basically their go to first when they're when they're trying to convince you that the Book of Mormon is inspired and as reliable as the King James. So once they once they're done knocking on your door and holding up the King James as if that's what they believe, then they move on to the Book of Mormon and they'll go to James that that experience, right? Like you'll right. just you'll feel that burning in your heart. You just know the Book of Mormon is real.
1: Right. right. So I mean, so these these are two bad bad responses. And I, I know I've used them. And uh, so it kind of takes two of my bad responses out. And, and thankfully, Avadi uh, Bakken gives us a good answer, or a good response. It's a long one. And uh, maybe we can attach this uh, to the comment section, if you're listening. And what Vadi says, a good answer is this. We believe the Bible because it's a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses that report supernatural events that take place in fulfillment of specific prophecies and claim that their writings are divine instead of human in origin. That is a mouthful and uh, hopefully you can have some time to to look at that and uh, kind of break it apart. Take the take that one hour and listen to this teaching because he breaks it apart in such a great way. Um, so how can we know that the Bible is is true? Well, it's because it's written by eyewitnesses and um, that during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. And there there's there's other there's other factors that we're gonna mention in, in this episode. Um, but I guess what I wanted to also chat about before we get into that is what are we talking about when we talk about the bible so are we talking about the 66 books or are we talking about the 66 books plus the apocrypha like what 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 is reliable and what is not and um there's actually tests that were done and figuring out what uh was scripture and what wasn't scripture and One thing I want to say is they did not make it scripture they simply recognized it uh, as scripture and uh, this is from Norman Geisler great um, what would he call him an apologist
0: yeah he would definitely fit that yeah Yeah.
1: and I remember reading a couple of his books Uh, I think one was about uh, ethics great material great thinker But he says the early church councils applied several basic standards in recognizing whether a book was inspired and These are five of them. I'm gonna go through them quickly. We don't really have time to really go too deep into this Um, The first test was is it authoritative? So are they claiming authority? So for instance does it say thus saith the Lord like are are they speaking on? uh, In the authority of of God, right? Uh, Second is it prophetic? So who is writing the book? Um, a book in the Bible must have the authority of a spiritual leader of Israel. So in the Old Testament, that would have been a prophet, king, judge, or scribe, or an apostle of the, of the church in the New Testament. And um, the third test was, is it authentic? And this one for me is the big one. Is it consistent with all of the rest of scripture? Is it? Does it contain any falsehood does it contain any contradictions if it does it's that is a red flag and really it's it's does not belong as scripture because god is truth he speaks truly he's actually the, the author of scripture and so it's not going to contradict itself uh fourth one is is it dynamic so this one is um is there a life-changing power so I, this kind of gets a little bit into experience but this is not the resting uh, test um but hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says For the word of god is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart okay so the bible as as you know glenn is unlike any other book it's live it's active and it cuts so as we're reading the scriptures is it doing that and it does that right but if we read another book
0: doesn't have that same it's interesting And while you're talking it makes me think of two different things and people don't really or won't honestly admit this but you can see and I'm sure you've noticed this David that there is a power in the Bible that offends people like you don't see people wanting to burn or hate on the Quran or other religious books as much as the Bible like the, the, something, it, doesn't it? it stirs something up into them like and then the other point I was thinking is that it should give comfort to people listening to this and Christians, and hopefully, as we go through this, even more so that our faith and I believe we touched on this last week too, is that our faith is based on fact. All yep. right, it's yep. it's it's a, it's a, a relationship with the Messiah that is real, and his living his words are living. And anyway, I could ramble on this all day, but it, it, this is not a a religion based in fairy tales and Amen. fancy thoughts right this is historical yep
1: yep yeah um, this is the this is the fifth test that I, it, it went through is is it received accepted and used by believers uh, they they camp on uh, 1 Thessalonians 2:13 um basically is it recognized as scripture so interesting enough you read uh, i think see the first second peter peter recognized paul's writings as scripture and then paul Recognize the Old Testament as scripture in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, uh, when it says all scripture is inspired by God and powerful bore, and you know, the rest of the verse. He's referring to the Old Testament there. So he recognizes it as, as scripture.
0: Well, now,
1: mean- you might be thinking, okay, well, maybe the apocrypha still fits in here. Now, this this is my go-to verse, and I'll, I'll be honest, I, I had to look it up, um, but I did remember this verse Um, But I had to look up what the reference was and this is Jesus and he's speaking to the Pharisees and in Matthew 23 verse 35 it says so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Berechiah whom you murdered between the temple and altar. So Here he's actually putting bookends. So Abel is in Genesis Zechariah is in Chronicles, 2nd Chronicles. Interesting enough, the Jewish Bible ends with 2nd Chronicles because their Bible is different than ours in the Rearrangement of these books. So he's putting Bookmarks everything from Genesis all the way through 2nd Second, 2nd Second, uh, Chronicles. So the 39 books of the Old Testament That in Jesus, in Jesus' view was scripture. So that's what we're talking about here And now we kind of want to give you some evidence of of why we believe that the bible is reliable
0: yeah and we'll try to do breaks as we go along because this is going to be a long episode but we'll start with a quote i like quotes david and they often word things better than i can word them Uh, but sir frederick kenyon and we've kind of touched on this already but he asked the question does this hebrew text speaking of the old testament which we call masoretic and which we have shown to descend from a text drawn up about 100 A.D., faithfully, faithfully represent the Hebrew text as originally written by the authors of the Old Testament books. Um, so he's, he's asking specifically about a text. Because um, it's interesting, the earliest completed co- copy of the Old Testament dates from the 10th century. So the big question is, because the texts were copied over many times, can we still trust them?
1: And I mean, this is a question that I'm sure, Glenn, you've had asked as you're doing apologetics, as you're sharing your faith. Can we trust the Bible? How do we know we can trust the Old Testament? Right? Um, it's interesting to observe just how serious the scribes took the, the, um, the recording or, or the—what's um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, uh, the copying of, uh, of the text— Um, see they they understood something that I think we understand Uh, they're human and they can err so they understood this they understood the possibility of making a mistake uh, when copying the Hebrew Bible so what they did was they took steps to uh, make sure that uh, errors didn't creep into the text and um, this is from uh, Josh McDowell his, his web his website uh... he's answering uh... the reliability of the old testament and um he, he, ge- he gives us uh, some um, practical things that they were doing one of one of the things that they did uh... was they attempted uh, to gain consistency by establishing rules on how to articulate the words when reading the text aloud so there is consistency and how they, they Spoke it now. Um, that's important because if you misspell, uh, you can easily misspell a word by having it mispronounced. Um,
0: like chim- I, like chimley. Sorry,
1: yeah, no, anyhow, sorry, I cool. I keep going.
0: chimley the word chimney. Yes. Anyhow, sorry, How keep How do
1: you spell yeah. that word?
0: There's an L somewhere in there, right? But no, so. no, yeah. maybe not. <laughs>
1: um, another, another couple of examples, uh, that, that he gives is scribes. Uh, oh, here, here's one that I thought was. Pretty, pretty uh, great. Um, A scribe may have known the scriptures by memory, but they were not permitted to write it without a text being there because our memory can play games and a piece of paper with the words on it is going to remain constant. So they made sure that... uh, They made it it a forbidden practice for them to have just in their mind and write them down. They had to have a a text, a manuscript there. Um, They also employed correctors, the temple employed correctors, who scrutinized the scrolls to safeguard their precision. So they were being observed, they were being watched. They were being watched for mistakes. And if I'm not mistaken, Glenn, I'm not sure if you've heard this, but if they did make a mistake, like they cut out a section. of of what they were writing.
0: It sounds familiar.
1: Yeah.
0: They took it... The point is here that they took it serious. I remember there was an individual I used to work with and he would level the accusation at me that the... What's that game called, David? Where you... The telephone game? Yeah, the telephone game. Oh, they they did it like that and you you just look at how a telephone game works and you can't trust the scripture and it's like... It's... To be blunt, it's a lazy argument. It is. Um, Because... whoever uses it and is using it as a serious discussion please like pick up a book (laughs) Um, i don't mean to sound rude but they took it serious right like it's an insult almost to the the it's almost a profession for these people right there was a, a group of people and that was what they did um and we're basically making light of what they took serious they devoted their entire life to basically right was this a consistent translation of the Bible, or right transfer?
1: So they weren't playing telephone.
0: No, nope. nope. mind you, the telephone probably would have been handy, but no. <laughs> anyhow.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, there's of course there's other things that they that they did as well to make sure that errors didn't creep in. Um, but how do we know that errors didn't creep in?
0: Well, it's interesting, and this is. The game changer basically for apologetics and when was the the dead sea scrolls basically mm-hmm. the dead sea scrolls consisted of the old testament texts, and in that in the in the pottery dishes and whatnot in the caves they found documents dating a hundred years before the birth of christ hmm. Uh, That's significant, and hopefully as we talk, we can explain why this is so significant. Like the entire, for example, the entire book of Isaiah was found dating to 125 B.C., which is a thousand years older than the previous full text of Isaiah that they were using. Wow. And of the 166 words in Isaiah 53, for example, there are only 17 letters in question that's different from the 10th century copy and the copy a thousand years older. So, a thousand years have gone by. There's 17 letters different. And what they consisted of was 10 misspellings, four minor stylus changes, such as conjunctions, and then the three last was the, the word light, basically added in 1st 11, and does not significantly change the meaning. And it's interesting because I, I believe you do too, David. I prefer, I like using the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Yep. And in the Holman Christian, it says, he will see it out of his anguish and he will be satisfied with his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and he will carry their iniquities. And then you have the updated Holman Christian Standard Bible, the Christian Standard Bible, and they've actually put that text in it, the the word light. And it says, after his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will carry their iniquities. So it doesn't change it a whole lot. No. And, and in fact, light is used earlier in Isaiah, in Isaiah 9 and 2, where it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has drawn, has dawned on those living in the land of the darkness. So the, you see that use of light in the book of Isaiah. But the, it's, it's fascinating because 95% of the text that was in the Dead Sea Scrolls compared to the, the, the text a thousand years before that, 95% of it was the same, identical, Exactly the remaining 5% that was different was misspellings or style changes that didn't change the text or the context at all.
1: Right, and as, as, as you're mentioning this, I mean, I, I write a, a lot, and I, I understand that errors can creep in, just misspellings and stuff, right? Like, and, But that doesn't change the content of it. Um, so it's pretty impressive. It's very impressive when you when when you consider just how minor um, these errors are. Just it's
0: it, it's small. Oh, it's it's amazing. And, and you think a thousand years have gone by, and it's almost word. what well, is word for word the same to the to the punctuation mark. Yep. It's incredible because you've got and a good example, perhaps, is the Egyptian Book of the Dead. And in chapter fifteen, the papyrus of And first of all, before I go any further, I want to apologize right off, because I'm going to butcher a bunch of names as we go deeper into this, but um, it's done innocently enough, I guess. But the papyrus of Annie, written during the 18th dynasty, and the turn papyrus in the 26th dynasty or later, whole clauses are inserted or left out, like chunks were missing Mm. out of the Egyptian book of the dead. Meanwhile, you've got Isaiah 53, that is a thousand years apart, Ninety-five percent of the same, five percent is the spelling.
1: And I mean that—that that goes back to how how serious the scribes took their, oh. their role and and just that that scribal, uh tradition of of making of guarding um, the trans. I guess the word would be the transmission of or the copying of these texts.
0: Yeah, it was a very serious thing. Yeah. Um, Mind you, we could spend an evening just on this topic, David, but for sake of the length of this, what this podcast is supposed to be, let's look at archaeology. Right. Um, that's fascinating. A quote by archaeologist Nelson Gluck could say, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever contraverted a biblical reference.
1: It, it's so interesting when, when you when you think of these people that always have an objection like such and such didn't exist um, David didn't exist and then then an archaeological find uh, I think it's the tell it's not tell David but it, it's it's a it's an ar- archaeological find that actually has referenced the house of David oh, yeah, and yeah. so bingo uh, David existed um, but every time these, these people seem to come up with like oh yeah but but you know what Sodom and Gomorrah didn't exist, and archaeological find uh, comes up, right?
0: Well, it's incredible because throughout history, you you have these skeptics that will raise a point and say, well, look, Sodom and Gomorrah, that's a fable. And they document evidence showing that people did not believe the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. But then you find proof of it, and what do you do? Well, then what about Jericho, or what about David? Like, it's never enough. It doesn't matter. Yep. It, it seems that way, anyhow. But anyhow, I'm getting. It seems right.
1: like a lot of times they're just trying to find a reason to not believe what the Bible has to say. So it's very it's 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 fun, I would say, to find archaeological oh. proof. Uh, I mean, as Christians, myself, I love hearing that because it just strengthens my faith, and I go, yes, what I'm reading is historical. Mm-hmm. Um, now, mind you, if you do have an apologetic encounter. It, it they might be impressed they might not they might try to find something else but i think uh glenn you have a couple here um archaeological finds uh, one of them is actually sodom and gomorrah
0: it is and before we talk about this I, I do want to mention as well that that apologetics will never save a soul right i know as i just i just thought of this again because apologetics is there to give an answer for what we believe right like for, for discussion and hopefully convince somebody of something like hey even a spark and then obviously god does the rest but i just wanted to add that in again we mentioned it i think last week too but but yeah sodom and gomorrah it's interesting because as i said for a long time they thought it was false but then evidence comes out so all five cities mentioned in the bible were centers of commerce and geographically situated right where the bible says and then there is evidence of an earthquake activity and various levels of Earth shows signs of disruption and flew into the air. But what's interesting about Sonic is that there's lots of bitumen. Bitumen? Am I saying that right? Bitumen? They're so accurate that brimstone or bitum, bit... bit... I'm a, I'm,
1: most, I'm, most, I'm not a scientist. No, but, it's, uh, a, it's a pitch. Bitumen, bitumen? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pitch. Um, <laughs> brimstone.
0: Brimstone basically was hurled down, like so the earth would have at the. Wait earthquake. a
1: minute, that reminds me of what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah.
0: It sounds an awful lot like it, doesn't it? Yeah, and
1: well, it was. I guess the Bible is accurate there.
0: Well, right if there, it seems very accurate, right? Because the the that earthquake when it happened, it raised temperatures so great that there's signs of rock being melted and welded together. Right. So there was great heat. So there's one, and then Jericho. Jericho, I could have listed a bunch here, but for sake of time, uh, Jericho was interesting. So the story for the longest time was considered to be false as well until 1930. Uh, and then you've got archaeologist Garstang and his team. They obviously realized what they had found and the implication of, hey, you guys lied, right. right? So they actually stopped and they prepared and signed a statement describing what was found. So they all wrote basically a letter agreeing, hey, this is what happened. And he says, as to the main fact, then, there remains no doubt. The walls fell outward so completely that the attackers would be able to clamper up and over their ruins into the city. Why so unusual? Because the walls of cities do not fall outwards. They fall inwards.
1: Right. So like a battering ram, it would, th- it would cause the wall to go in.
0: When you think of it, like it would either crumble or fall in because you're beating on it right, to bring it down, right? And it fell out. And it fell out flat. Uh, it's interesting because Brian Wood wrote a list of collaboration between archaeology and the big biblical narrative. And in his book, there are seven points that, that archaeology found that corresponds with what the Bible says. The city was strongly fortified. The attack occurred just after harvest time in the spring. Mm. The inhabitants had no opportunity to flee with their fo- food sheds. The siege was short. The wall was leveled, possibly by an earthquake and then the city was not plundered, the city was burned and all of these seven points are in the book of Joshua from chapter 2 to chapter 6.
1: Right, yeah, because it talks about, uh, you know, the walls of Jericho being very high, very thick, um, and yeah, So the siege was short. It was uh, six, seven days. Like, it was... It, it, it compared, like that, that, that is short. There's, there's no sieges that are shorter than that.
0: No, and, and it needs to be mentioned that while earthquakes may have been used in both of these instances we need to remember that God controls Mm. creation right and then the fact that the earthquake if it was an earthquake as well happened at the exact time it's incredible all right but it's worth noting I mean we could talk all night of archaeological evidences and stuff like that but Henry Morris had a good quote on this and he said problems will still exist of course in the complete harmonization of archaeological material with the bible because there is so much stuff there but none so serious as to not bear real promise of imminent solution through further investigation it must be extremely significant that in view of the great mass of cooperative evidence regarding the biblical history of these periods there exists today not one unquestionable find of archaeology that proves the bible to be in error at any point so with anything as archaeological archae, as Sites are uncovered, all it does is add credibility to the Bible. It doesn't take away from it.
1: So, how can we know the Old Testament is reliable? Archaeology proves it. Uh, the textual transmission is, as you mentioned, um, there's only a, a 5% um, uh, discrepan- discrepancy, but that's to do with misspellings and just little things that add that don't take away from from the scriptures so we can trust the Old Testament um, there's a, there's of course another thing but we'll, we'll share that later uh, the prophetic side of this as well
0: yes that's coming that'll, that's that'll be interesting I think uh, so we're at the 26 mark minute mark David which is not too bad I don't think actually so we can take a well, basically let's start in the New Testament now yeah so New Testament is a whole other ball game, and it's quite interesting as well. Um, John will start right off again, kind of like we did in the Old Testament with a te- textual transmission. And uh, John Warwick Montgomery can say to be skeptical of the resultant text of the New Testament books is to allow all of classical antiquity to slip into obscurity. For no documents of the ancient period are as well attested bibliographically as the New Testament. And then, as mentioned last week, there are 25,000 manuscripts of the New Testament. At at least
1: 25,000. Dockery says this. It must be said that the amount of time between the original composition and the next surviving manuscripts is far less for the New Testament than for any other work in Greek literature. Although there are certainty certainly differences in many of the new testament manuscripts not one fundamental doctrine of the christian faith rests on disputed reading so that is a huge thing because a lot of these uh writings of antiquity uh there's large uh spaces in between in between uh the the last manuscript and um the original writing
0: yeah, and it's it's interesting because people are so quick to discredit the reliability of even the New Testament. But yeah, you've got and I just wrote a couple examples. There's many that I could have listed, but you've got Homer's Iliad that was written in 800 BC. The earliest copy we have is around 400 BC. So there's a 400 year difference there between the writings, and there's 643 copies. Then you've got Pliny Secundus. Did I say that right, Pliny, who wrote Natural History? He wrote that between 61 and 113 AD. The earliest copy we have of that is 800 and 850 AD. So you've got a 750 year about separation, a year difference in between the, t- in the copies.
1: Right. And what you're mentioning here is that with Homer's Iliad and Pliny's his Natural History, uh, people accept these as reliable documents.
0: Right. Right. There's there's never, there's never, very little question. And it's kind of like. Um, or was it uh, John Warwick Montgomery, what he said was to allow all of classical antiquity to slip into obscurity, we question the reliability in the New Testament because, as we're about to mention, the New Testament, And uh, while well, there's only seven copies of natural history left, but to question the reliability in the New Testament and the, the innumerable amount of evidences towards the reliability of it is to throw all history out because there's nothing more documented than the New Testament. right? And then you've got... Uh, written between 50 and 100 A.D. was the New Testament, and that uh, we'll get into that a bit more, but there's a difference in dates, but they're all around that. There's fragments dating uh, to 114 A.D. That's a 50-year difference, only a 50-year difference. Mm. Uh, there's entire books, 200 A.D., which is only 100 years. To 50 A.D., the majority of the New Testament is found, and that's 150 years. And then the entire New Testament in 325 A.D., there's copies of uh, that's a 225, but those early copies, there's a total of 5,366 copies and pieces of fragment, um, which is much higher than any other ancient antiquity document. Yep. yep. Uh, it's interesting and I, that Greenlee, uh, another writer, could say that translation of ancient literature was rarely done, so it wasn't a common thing happened, but by 150 AD, there's evidence of Syrian and latin versions of the new testament which kind of makes sense because the early church was told to go out and preach and it was a missionary church so you see it already happening by 150 ad which is almost unheard of that it's already being translated into other languages
1: so let's kind of put this a little bit into uh, shoe leathers let's just say glenn um i went out and i started sharing my faith and trying to share the gospel with somebody and they started asking, well, you know, how do you really know that the New Testament is, is true, right? Is, is reliable? Would you, would you pull out this fact of, of the textual transmission? And if, if so, how would you use that in a discussion?
0: I always struggle with answering these type of questions because I, I compartmentalize things way too much, and it all comes down to who I'm talking to and where I would begin, right? But but if this came up to a guy in discussion, then I would discuss the different antiquity documents and ask them what their view is on Iliads, for example. And if they've ever questioned the validity of Iliad, or any of the other old, there's a number of other ones, um, and if they have, then if they're aware that there's only this many documents and that it's double at least double that the, the different the, the distance between copies compared to the New Testament and then whatever they said from there would obviously would lead into the next but it's like most people aren't aware I don't think of in in the context of ancient documents how close the New Testament copies are and these are copies right so you're already talking well the early original ones are even earlier than this so we're talking about copies and fragments already Um, that we have so you see that the the this point and i mean there's much to it but you see that the documents are very close to the original authors
1: i also like how you mentioned how um there is more copies of the new testament um and that the new testament was uh translated into syrian and latin versions because we're a missionary church yeah and i mean the bible is our you can say our our, our doc uh, well it's a doctrine it's a it's document it's it's what we 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 need in order to know what god would have us to do so of course it's going to be lost in copies of this because people need to read uh the bible for themselves and understand it for themselves so that they can share it with others um i mean when i kind of think of i mean this might be off topic so uh bear with me um i think of martin luther and during martin luther's time Uh, the word of god was was put into a language that was was not known to the people and um martin Luther and uh, you know jan hus and 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 them uh wycliffe uh they they felt the the need to write it in the language of the people um and then once it was put it into the language of the people and given to the people well reformation happened
0: Oh, it's a, oh, yeah, and you see it, too, and we mentioned in one of our other episodes about the persecution of one of the queens to, uh, against certain Protestant groups and how it drove them away, and they wrote the Geneva Bible, which was used for years and years to the English-speaking group, um, church, right? But you see the mass result of that. like it, The Christian church is a missionary church, um, for sure. But it's interesting because early church fathers, and you can think of times throughout history where uh, groups tried to burn the Bibles and destroy all the Bibles, and, and yet it would take an awful lot. They, they never have been able to do it, and they never will be able to do it. But uh, the early church fathers alone quoted the New Testament so often that if needed, their writings alone could mm-hmm. give us the New Testament again. So, Origen, am I saying that right? Yep. He had, I should mention too, when we quote these guys, we're not... Saying we agree with everything they wrote or said because this individual had some interesting views on things and the Trinity and whatnot, but um, his quoted parts of the New Testament alone were well, almost eighteen thousand times wow. that he quoted the New Testament.
1: Here I'm going to want to stretch this for a minute because I mean, what you just said kind of just reminded it, it, it's, it, it encourages me to have my conversation more filled with Scripture. Than other empty words right like I'll think of my own conversations and how, how much scripture am I, am I sharing and how much of my own opinions am I sharing and I mean this, this guy you said in his writings alone 18,000 times he quotes the New Testament It kind of reminds me of like John Bunyan and, and them who just their focus was just sharing what God said it doesn't really matter what they thought
0: in a way well isn't it paul that was says to be careful of empty words and feigned deceit right like uh, our writings and our topic especially if we're talking to people about the gospel should be taken up with i mean you think of first corinthians 15 and paul like according you're according to the scriptures you know like the, mm, like paul mm-hmm. paul's gospel was taken up with the word of god but
1: so you're talking about origin uh, long quoted parts of the new testament's Nearly eighteen thousand times, uh, the New Testament writers were, were confident in using and referencing eyewitness testimony, and they did it uh, a number of times. Um, once in uh, Luke chapter one one to three, I mean Luke himself is using eyewitness testimony because he Luke himself was not an eyewitness to to Jesus. He was he was saved after. The the crucifixion and resurrection of, of Christ, uh, and he went around. He was a, he was a historian who who brought together what um, others had had witnessed, um, and then yeah, you have Second uh, Peter one sixteen, First 1 John 1 th- 1 three, John nineteen thirty five, and and we could go on uh, here. But the New Testament writers are confident in using and referencing eyewitness
0: testimony. Which I think we'll, we'll we'll definitely get into this more next week on our topic that we're going to have on the on Jesus, and more focus on Christ and who he was. But uh, it's interesting because, and speaking of the, the eyewitness testimony, which is significant, and we definitely need to touch more on that. But uh, then you've got back into the topic of, of the reliability and the early writings of the New Testament. You've got um, people like William Foxwell Albright who would have been a more conservative writer who he dated everything nothing was written after 80 AD but then you've got a not-so-conservative scholar even John AT Robinson in his book redating the New Testament which would say that everything was written no later than 70 AD anyhow the point of that is that
1: it would be very interesting to put them both together and have a conversation on when it was dated because that would play a factor in uh reading
0: revelation for instance oh definitely i'd like to know where they put revelation and how like i'd love to talk to these guys more and see um but speaking of the reliability in the new testament you've even got secular writers mm-hmm. so people that had no attraction to the gospel and had no care for it you've got the roman historian tacitus uh, when he's writing about the great fire of rome he referenced the christians and what he called the mischievous superstition which was Most likely the resurrection. So you see him, he's referencing this is what they're writing about, this is obviously what the Christians are talking about, this mischievous superstition, the resurrection, which will be good for next week as well. Uh, And then you got Josephus, which Josephus references Christians a number of times, but he speaks of, he even gets into speaking of James, Mm -hmm. the, the brother of Jesus, and how he was martyred. And then he also confirmed the identity of John the Baptist in his writings. So right?
1: two prominent people in the New Testament times, right? So oh, John yes. the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, preparing the way. And then James, the half brother of Jesus, who is the author of the book of James. Um, and then I guess I would also qualify uh, Jude, too, because Jude refers to James as his, as his uh, brother. Yeah. Right, so... Yeah. <laughs> so secular writers are confirming scripture oh, the yeah, reliability of it
0: yeah and there's more than that that we could have mentioned but oh, there's two we of could
1: them. be here probably for hours each one of
0: these topics could have its own episode right but uh and then we started to talk about Luke and more needs to be talked about Luke and i put Luke under the archaeology section of the new testament and uh, sir william ramsey once a skeptic on the reliability of the new testament after studying luke's writings which is Luke and Acts said, Luke is a historian of the first rank, not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy. The author should be placed along with the very greatest of historians.
1: So if you question the gospels, then, I mean, you're not really doing your study because Sir William Ramsey is saying that Luke who wrote the gospel of Luke Is a historian to the first rank. So he is a top notch historian and he's accurate in what he writes. So, and what he writes in Luke is parallel, as in, is consistent with the other
0: gospels. It is, and it's interesting because when, and I had this later in my notes, but it seems good to put it now that Luke named, and we'll mention a couple of these, but he named 32 countries, 54 cities, 9 islands, with zero errors. Which is, as we'll see, not all historians can hold up to this crit that Luke did, but he's been attacked, like everybody else in the Bible, a number of times. And one of them, and I could have listed a many, uh, in Acts 14. So many used to believe that Luke was wrong in Acts 14 and 16. So they Acts 14 and 6, or 14 and 6, sorry. They said they found out about it and fled to... Can you pronounce that? Lysenia? Lyconium Lyconium thank you towns called Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding countryside so the skeptics believed that Iconium wasn't in Lyconium but Luke didn't put it there they came to this conclusion from Romans like Cicero said Iconium was in Lyconium. so basically to try to understand this blah blah that I just said was the Roman historian Cicira, Cicero put Iconium in Lyconian. But Paul but Luke didn't. So if you read Acts fourteen and six, he kinda he does mention Lyconian, but it's separate from the two towns where they went.
1: Right. Which I mean, part of that reason would be he was with Paul. And yeah. he, he 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 knows where he was, so he's a reliable source. But also he's writing it. Uh, under the inspiration of, of 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 God, right? So,
0: so and it's interesting because Sir William Ramsey, the once skeptic, was the one to find in 1910 documents showing that Iconium was in Phrygian, uh, I'm bad, Phrygian city, and then others confirmed this later. So Luke was right. And <coughs> yeah, I'm sorry, people. Now, is,
1: it's I've, also very interesting that how, how you mentioned that um, Sir William Ramsey was skeptical at first. Until he understood the reliability of the New Testament.
0: Yeah, and it's uh, funny because he was a skeptic up until he wasn't a skeptic and became one of the biggest defenders of the New Testament documents after that.
1: So, I mean, we've been chatting for, what, 40 minutes or so? Um on a topic of uh, the reliability of Scripture. And here we, we stumbled upon someone who was converted having found out that the New Testament is reliable.
0: For sure, and I mean another one that everybody knows, I think, is C.S. Lewis, right? Yeah. C.S. Lewis was a skeptic as well, and he didn't believe it. And he he was an expert in fables and stories and stuff like that it was his profession basically. And when he started, and he would have called the New Testament just fables until he started digging in it, and right. and then you can read many quotes of C.S. Lewis at saying people like there's no correlation at all between a fable and the. When well, you type.
1: think of even Lee Strobel, and I, I I we could probably be listing names here. A mile wide, but Lee Strobel was a skeptic of Christianity. Uh, his wife got saved, and he he was a uh, he was a journalist. Um, he was a specific kind of journalist where he had his you know um, set of the cases and all that stuff. But he he was someone who did not just take anything for granted, and so he did his own study. And came to understand that uh, that the New Testament was reliable, and the, and and, um, and that the resurrection is true. And we'll we'll mention that more next episode. But I mean, if you want to be somebody, like there's there's so many. This is what I'm trying to say. There's so many stories of somebody who's been who's skeptical against God's word and have tried to go out of their way to disprove it and have come get saved because they just understand that the New Testament the the Bible is reliable Um, so really I guess what you could what I what you could say is that those who are trying to find excuses not to believe they're just finding excuses not to believe
0: oh exactly because there's so much evidence Right, like you've got, and I'm, I'm not even going to, for the sake of people who are good at pronouncing words, I'm not even going to try anymore. If you want to know, just ask and I'll send it to you. But you got Luke again in the Philippian Jailer that skeptics for years said he used the wrong wording there. There was actually two rulers in the area and Paul and Luke was completely wrong, but they dug up stuff for the magistrates of the Roman colony who used the same wording that Luke used right you got John 19 and 13 there for a of the years the court that Jesus was tried in skeptics claimed it never existed he was never tried in that court because it didn't exist when in fact when the city was ruined and destroyed they when they rebuilt it they just left that buried and it wasn't until fairly recent in history that they actually found that court where Jesus was right there's there's so much evidence um, but it's like just to remember that, as Dr. Archer could say, there is a good and sufficient answer in Scripture itself to refute every charge that has ever been leveled against it. But this is only to be expected from the kind of book the Bible asserts itself to be the inscription, the inscripturation of the infallible, inerrant Word of the Living God. So, duh. <laughs> right. Obviously, um, there, you're always going to have accusations leveled at it. You're always going We're not even touching tonight on contradictions. We could do a whole episode on legit contradictions. But the point of Dr. Archer, and I agree with him, that there's an answer for all of it.
1: There is. There really is. And, I mean, every time somebody tries to disprove, uh, the truth will be revealed. Because the, the author of Scripture is God. <laughs> he is the one who inspired the Scriptures. So if he is truth, incarnate, The scriptures will be true it doesn't contain error um it doesn't uh so i mean it's obvious right like what what, what's the best thing for us to do i mean you could we can spend time um arguing with somebody about why we believe the scriptures is reliable or we can just let the lion out of the cage and let god's word do its do its work
0: Oh, yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, you know, people that want to get into apologetics or do apologetics, don't stress. be Take it serious, obviously, and know your Bible. But that's the most important thing is yeah. spend time in your Bible, pray, and get close to God with it. And because you are going to find people that are hateful and that will just simply refuse to listen to you, your job isn't to convince them. It's to present truths and facts and allow the Spirit to work with that person.
1: Now I've had discussions with people uh, that were interested in, uh, in in Christianity and coming to know Christ, and there was questions asked of like basically how can you know that the Bible is true? And am I go to? I mean, I I do get a little giddy when it comes to archeo- ar- archaeological digs and finds because I'm like woohoo. Uh, the Bible has, has you know, God has done it again. Um, textual criticism from a uh, textual uh, transmission for me is not something that I go to, but the thing that I think is is the the thing that just uh, speaks uh, the best is when it comes to prophecy and 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 uh, and I've there's um, one person that I. I I chatted with, and we were walking in, in a golf course. And uh, I, he was trying to, you know, is is the Bible reliable? Is is it true? Can I trust it? And so, what I brought up was Isaiah, Isaiah chapter uh, fifty-three, um, about uh, the suffering servant, who who would come, and. Um, take on our sin suffer and die under the hand of God uh... for us and I asked who do you think that is? and he said I think that's Jesus and I said do you realize that these words were written seven hundred years before Jesus ever came and Isaiah even mentions the crucifixion being uh, even before it was even a thing, right? So
0: oh, and there's so much we we wouldn't have the time to talk about all the prophetic utterings that proves well not only who Jesus is, but also the reliability of Scripture and just the incredible span of time that was between some of these writers and how it all came to fruition in one man. You know, you think of just some of the prophecies. Well, in Acts 3 and 18, it says, Luke is saying, But what God predicted through the mouth of all the prophets that his Messiah would suffer, he has fulfilled in this way. Mm -hmm. And then you can read the New Testament to learn more. But you've got, like, Herod, just the minute things. Not only listed some of them, but the tiny things, like Herod killing the children. In Jeremiah 31, it says, This is what the Lord says. A voice was heard in Ramah, a lament with bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more.
1: Right, and then Matthew uses this verse as a fulfillment of what happened in Bethlehem. So Matthew 2.16 says, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the male children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. And then he he quotes uh, Jeremiah 31.15.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he does, and that, and then you got the ministry of miracles. Now Isaiah 35, uh, that says, "Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. For water will gush in the wilderness, and streams in the desert." And that's right. all. Yeah, Isaiah 35, verse five and six.
1: And again, Matthew brings us up as as, as fulfilled in Jesus. He says, "Then Jesus went to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and sickness."
0: We could go on and on, but then you've got 29. Sorry, I'm losing my voice here. 29 prophecies, which speaks of the betrayal, trial, and death of Jesus, happened all in one day. These 29 prophecies were spoken by multitude of individuals over a 500-year period. And they all came together and were fulfilled in a 24-hour period, which is incredible. But you've got the Judas' betrayal in Psalms 41 and 9. It says, even my friend in whom I trusted, one who ate my bread, has raised his heel against me.
1: Right. And then Matthew 10, 4, the fulfillment. And Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him.
0: And then you've got hit and spit on, was even prophesied. And I say a 50 where it says, I gave my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who tore out my beard. I did not hide my face from scorn and spitting.
1: And then in Matthew, talks about fulfillment. Then they spit in his face and beat him. Others slapped him.
0: Yeah, and then the final one that I got listed here is not a broken bone, which is incredible considering what he went through. Uh, Zechariah 12 and 10, it says, And they will look at me whom they pierced, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for an only child and weeps bitterly for him as one who weeps for a firstborn.
1: And then John talks about that fulfillment. In John 19:34, 34 says, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. So, I mean, we can go on and, and on. I mean, um, which one is it? Psalm 22, the one that basically Jesus quotes from the cross. Um, it also is fulfilled on on the cross and in that song oh, just yeah. um, <clears throat> and you realize how, how, how many years are in between these prophecies and when they come to be and how spe- how specific they are and there, there's there's no going away thinking well this book just came to be and we can't trust this book like for me these prophecies, they speak volumes greater than even archaeological finds in my mind of oh, yeah. why I can yeah. trust the Bible.
0: Oh yeah, and I mean we only mentioned what three or four or five of them and there's twenty-nine of them. And then in the book, The Passover plot, the skeptical New Testament scholar H. J. Skonfeld could say that he gave the idea that Jesus was an innocent messianic pretender, that he can connive to fulfill prophecy in order to substantiate his claims. The, but the issue with this is some of these prophecies were outside of Jesus' control.
1: Right. For instance, his place of birth, Micah says that he would be born in Bethlehem Ephratah.
0: Yeah, and then you've got eight in total. Which these these eight are significant, as we'll, we'll show later. But you've got your, his time of birth in Daniel nine and twenty-five, his manner of birth in Psalm twenty-two, and then his betrayal, his prophesied, his manner of death in Psalm twenty-two. Right. Right. And then you've got some more too. You've got people's reactions were even prophesied, the mocking, spitting, and staring, his piercings, and the burial. And in fact, Peter Peter Stoner wrote a book on this, and I'll wait to see if you have anything to add to this before I say too much, but in his book Science Speaks, which this book, and it's worth, before we mention some of the numbers and stuff here, it's worth mentioning that it was reviewed, his book Science Speaks was reviewed by the Committee of the American Scientific Affiliation, and the executive council of the same group and was found to be dependable and accurate in regard to the scientific material presented
1: so as you listed those eight i mean two of them is based on psalm 22. uh psalm 22 is is one that you you need to read um because it it is full of 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 what happened on the cross with with jesus right so for dogs encompass me interesting enough dog was a, was a slur uh, for Gentiles. Yeah. Who was around Jesus at this time? The Roman centurions. Okay. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Um, where was he pierced? His hands and his feet. Um, I, I count all my bones. Now this is very interesting because on the cross um, they would break your bones to speed your death. And the Passover was uh, coming, or, you know, the, yeah, the Passover was coming, and, and uh, uh, Sabbath was coming, um, and this needed to happen quickly. So the thoughts would be, break Jesus' legs, but Jesus is already dead, and so they didn't have to break his legs. So I count all my bones, and they stare at and go over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Read the Gospels. What happened? The Roman centurions. Cast lots for his clothes. This is Jesus, and these these prophecies are written um, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus even uh, went to the cross. Like this is mind blowing. This is awesome. This, this for me speaks. Well, it, oh, I just I love this. Oh, I just yeah. Uh, um, no, another thing to add there is um, yeah, just uh. You know i lost my thought <laughs> that's all
0: okay so that the peter stoner's book that i <clears throat> mentioned and showed how reliable that that uh, his uh, counterparts would think peter wrote about these eight prophecies the significance of these eight prophecies is that these were outside of jesus control uh, which kind of is a rebuttal to what's his name again uh, no i lost, the skeptic i lost it anyhow um so what Peter says is the precedent was that for the just just these eight prophecies above to be fulfilled by one person is a one in 10 to the 17th power. So that's 10 with 17 zeros after. Mm-hmm. So he uses the illustration for people like me to understand it. Uh, Stoner uses the illustration that if you took this number of silver dollars, you could cover the state of Texas two feet deep. And then if you took one silver dollar and marked it, Put a mark on it, and then shuffled all this mass of dollars up, and then told someone they could go anywhere in the state. But as they're walking, they bend down, they, they blindfold the man, and tell him he can travel anywhere, and that he must bend down and pick up one silver dollar, blindfold it, and it has to be the one marked. What are the chances of this man to pick up the right dollar? Well, the same odds that the prophets had to write these eight prophecies, and they all came true in one man is the same chance that this buddy blindfolded to pick up one coin Was it two feet how deep was it again yeah oh, two, two feet. feet deep it's incredible
1: that is so this, this isn't by happen chance
0: no not at all and then <clears throat> these are the eight and then stoner goes on to, to talk about the 48 prophecies there was a large number of prophecies basically in the relation to Jesus But he says for them to be fulfilled in one man would be one in 10 to the 157th power of odds so to use this illustration he said that the the example of silver dollars was too big uh he needs to use electrons now (laughs) so it would take 2.5 times 10 to the 15th power of them lined side by side to make a single file one inch long and if we were going to count the electrons in this line one inch long and count 250 of them each minute, it would take 19 million years if you count it day and night just to count one inch line. So it's incredible. like It's it's,
1: it's impossible.
0: It's impossible, huh? Yeah.
1: It's, which which means that there's only one way that this could have been done, and it's by God's... Determined will
0: oh, the, the fact that a group of writers 500 years apart Could set and write 40, At least 48 prophecies And yep. they all come true To one man The majority of them on one 24 hour period And as you see That Stoner could say It is absolutely humanly impossible For this to happen Without divine intervention of some sort
1: It's, and it's as if if somebody knew the future, wait a minute. God does. Yeah. This gets us back to the fact that, you know, the the primary author of scripture is God. He's the one who knows all. He knows the future from the beginning. And he's the one that who took these men and wrote through them. That's how I mean when we talk about prophecies. We're not talking about just one prophet. We're talking about a plethora of prophets that, that wrote all of this. Um, and even prophets that we wouldn't even think of. For instance, like the writer of Psalm 22, which uh, I believe probably was perhaps David, who the, uh, uh, the Book of Acts refers to as a prophet. We, we wouldn't think of that as a prophecy and and yet it is a prophecy uh and and god is the one who um moved them to write this to write it down to to announce it to proclaim it um and jesus was jesus himself was very much fully aware that he was fulfilling scripture um and one way that we can even know this uh, is like even going back to Psalm 22. All right, so uh, I heard this on Vaudi Bauckham's teaching, which, again, totally recommend you listening to um, he, he, he Back in Jewish times, they don't have uh, verses and headings and chapters. So how do you know uh, what Psalm you go into? Well, you do it. By quoting the first, the first section of it, um, what did Jesus do on the cross? Well, do you remember these words? My, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know what that's found? Psalm twenty-two. that's the opening verse. So here's a, Jesus is on the cross. He's dying to speak much. Is ang- is put put him in much much anguish, and so he's saying, basically, he's fulfilling Psalm twenty two.
0: It's incredible, and the the excitement that people should feel when they understand the prophecies and the reliability of these prophecies it's mind blowing, and you it's hard to make it through a, a series of podcasts, David, in a week about this type of stuff and. Without somebody calling in on these podcasts and talking about Nostradamus, Hmm. right, and and, and Nostradamus is is probably one of the most well-known prophets in the secular world, and people will love to talk about him, but they forget about these incredible men inspired by God and what they wrote here. Um, Norman Geisler even had something to say about this, that he said the highly reputed, predictions of Nostradamus were not that amazing at all contrary to popular belief he never predicted either the place or the year of a great California earthquake most of his famous predictions such as the rise of Hitler were vague as other phys- psychics he was frequently wrong a false prophet by biblical standards mm. and then meanwhile you've got the Bible that even talks about the ripping of the hair into the beard the spitting on the face the piercing specifics yes it's incredible.
1: Well, I mean, even where he was born, right? Yeah, Micah gives, and and he even specifies which Bethlehem, because there was two Bethlehems at that time. But he says Bethlehem time. so he he's very specific. And so, had Jesus been born in, uh, I don't know, Jerusalem, that he would have, Micah would have been a false prophet.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I mean yeah, we could we could go on for for more but I think we we're, we're going to bring more of this up next episode.
0: I mean, I'm excited for next episode already, David, cuz it's going to be on the historical credibility of Jesus historical Jesus existing, but then who he was, was he lord legion or lunatic basically. CS Lewis. Yeah. Try What is that called?
1: I can't remember. Try something.
0: Yeah, yeah. I can't it's remember. Definitely not
1: the tri Jesus. <laughs> no,
0: yeah, but uh, yeah, that'll be a good episode, I think.
1: I, I think it's going to. We're gonna we'll, we'll talk about uh, how we know that he existed, and how we know that you know who who he who, who he who he was, right? And he is fully God, fully man, and how how we know we can trust that.
0: Yeah. So, David. As, as every episode as we end it because at the end of the day the most important thing we can talk about is the gospel and we'll repeat it again until everyone gets tired of hearing it life is short
1: death is sure
0: sin the cause
1: Christ the cure see you guys